Heavenly Father, I just give you thanks for this morning. Lord, just reminded over and over again that you, 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 you compel us to remember often in your word. Over and over again, the words remember come on. And so Lord, I'm just, I'm just calling to mind the things that you've called me and each of us here to remember is that you're a good God and that you're a loving God. That your mercies, that they're new this morning. And I know someone in here needs to be reminded that your mercy is new towards them. God, I know that I need that. And so, Father, as we sit and we've sung and we've fellowshiped and we've said hello, we've drunk coffee, we've listened to even some of the things that are going on and the plans that we have, God, we know none of those will happen unless it's what you desire and you will. And, Father, that it would come from you. And so, Lord, we just beg you today as we even sit under your word that you would just have your way with us, Lord, that your will would be worked out as we spend time in your word today, that we'd be encouraged, that we would be challenged in the ways that we need to be challenged, Lord, that we would repent in the areas of our life that we need to repent. But God, at the end of the day, as we will read and continue reading through Hebrews, Lord, that our eyes would be fixed on Jesus. So Lord, would you help us today to continue just to fix our eyes on him? Lord, I need your help as we just look through this text today. So God, would you speak through me? Father, where I am unclear, God, I pray for your grace. Lord, I pray that the truth of your word would be abundantly clear to us this morning and we find great hope. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's that time of year, right? All the wants coming around. I don't know about you. I have three kids. I just shared that. And we have this thing that we, we do and like they, they have this thing. Have you all heard of Elfster before? Well, Elfster is just this like way for us to spend a ton of money right? You know, it's this way where yeah, I have sisters and we had a family and, and one of the easy ways, so we didn't all have to provide buying gifts for everyone. We'd pick one and it would kind of be a randomizer of like, hey, who, who buys gifts for who? But it's also this place where you put your wish list down, right? And so it's really easy for most of our family because they can just go online and just go, okay, great. That's what Brinley wants. That's what Micah wants. That's what, and then they're like, hey, what do you want? And so it's just, it's like, just, just kind of inculcated in this idea around the season of like my, our wants. And Man, there's nothing wrong with that. There certainly can be. But in it, there's nothing wrong, right? That's the season we're in, in our culture, right? Christmas. Advent, we've been talking about that. Mel's been bringing that up and helping us each week. But I'm just reminded of something that's even different. What's, what's different? A need. We don't talk often about what we need. We do in some senses, but especially in this time of this year, we're, 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 so, we're thinking about the wants of other people, and there's good ways, but, but do you ever just, just slow down, in this season at least, and go like, what do I need? Because it's easy for me to tell you what I want. Sometimes it's more difficult to tell you what I need. And over these past several weeks, we've been looking at who Jesus is. We've been looking at why did Jesus become human? Why is that so significant? Why is the entire book of Hebrews about this guy, Jesus? And why is the birth of Jesus that we are anticipating, looking forward to on Christmas and Christmas Eve, and we celebrate and we'll sing these joyous songs about the coming of Christ as a baby? Why, why is that such a life-changing event for all of human history? Why, why is that? And Hebrews 2.17, if you have been with us, has been our starting point from these past several weeks. What Hebrews 2.17 says, and it'll be on the screen behind me, I wanna read out loud for us because this is really gonna help us think about our need and, and Hebrews writer is gonna help us identify today as we've looked over the past several weeks that we have a deep, deep need and many of us aren't even aware of it. Some of us are, but some of us aren't. 
So here's the starting point, Hebrews 2.17. It says this, Therefore he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. Made like us in every way. Why? Verse 17 tells us so he could be our merciful and faithful high priest. We're spending a lot of time on this idea of Jesus as our high priest today. Why do we need that? And that he was a substitute, the propitiation of our sins, someone who took our sins on our behalf. That is why Jesus had to be make, made like us. See, the biggest problem in our world, our biggest need, isn't for wars and diseases to be eradicated. Man, and I, I long for those things. I know you do too. But the scriptures tell us that is not our greatest need. The scriptures tell us that that is not the main issue. We want those things to go, and those are important things, and they should. But that, friends, is not our greatest need. The biggest problem in our world is that we're separated from God. Like, there's no way to bridge that chasm. And the scriptures are abundantly clear over and over again, to you and to me, and to all of human history that has this word. The biggest problem is being separated from a holy God. And that sin has broken the relationship that we once had with this loving and holy God. That is the biggest need on the entire planet, on the entire history and future is this. So we've been spending time this Advent season over the past several weeks being reminded that God, through his son Jesus, has done what we could not do, has bridged the gap, has, has brought together what was once separated. This is what we've been looking at, that what we could not do, save ourselves from the sin that has broken our relationship with God and has caused us separation. Jesus has repaired that and repaired our relationship with God. That's all that Hebrews is talking about. But how does Jesus do that? It's great to know that. That's super vital for us to know. But how does Jesus do that? And this is going to be answered in understanding the significance and our need for Jesus to be our great high priest. It's going to be significant for us today to understand this role. And what we're going to see today is that Jesus is a better high priest in every way. We'll see that Jesus is a better hope to draw near to God than any way previously understood throughout the entirety of the Hebrew Bible and all the way into the New Testament and the New Covenant. See, we started off the first week in our Advent series looking at who Jesus was. He's the exact imprint of the nature of God. If we want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. What does God feel? What does God think? What does God command? What does God hate? We get to know that through his word and through the person, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We get to see that. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is laying out for us. This is an incredible reality for us to see. And in the last week, as Alan shared with us, we got to understand not only is he the exact imprint of, of God himself, Jesus, but he's our sympathetic high priest. He can relate to us. Guys, how, how much do we need to understand this reality of a God who knows us intimately and deeply and sympathizes with all of the things that we go through? And so this week, we are going to look at why 
is it important to see Jesus as our better hope as we get into reading our scripture as our high priest? Why do we need him in that way? Why is that office so important? Hebrews 7, 18. If you pull your Bibles out, you can look. We're gonna hang, <clears throat> hang out in Hebrews 7. And just kind of a fair warning this Fair warning for this morning. Hebrews 7 is a rich, rich, deep, challenging section of Scripture. And we are going to try our best to kind of trudge through it, okay? It's so full for us. In fact, the writer even talks about, hey, Christians, some of you lived on milk, but you need meat. But you're going to go back to milk. But this is going to be, this isn't light fair for us this morning. And, and some of us are going to look at this maybe with some deer in headlight looks like, I don't know, but just hang in this because you're going to see this is explaining the unbelievable need that we have that Jesus fulfills for us. I want to start in verse 18 through 19, and I'm going to ask two questions of this text, and then we're going to really kind of put our uh, thinking caps on, and we're going to get into all that the writer of Hebrews has in this chapter for us this morning. Hebrews 7, 18 through 19 says this, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And there is the title of our sermon this morning. A better hope. Why is Jesus a better hope? The two questions we're going to answer this morning through the text as we wrestle through all that the writer of Hebrews has for us is, one, why is Jesus a better hope? And number two, how should we live in light of this better hope? Those are the two questions, real simple, but there's going to be a lot of digging and pulling and work we're going to have to do this morning, okay, to answer these questions. But what I want to do first before we do anything else, is to be able to appreciate the weight of what the writer of Hebrews is explaining in this chapter. The idea of our need for Jesus to be a great high priest. We've got to understand some of what the Hebrew Bible is gonna articulate and what the context is for the Old Testament, all right? So we're gonna look at what is the priesthood. Why does it matter? Because it's so important that everything that was going on in the, in the time that this book was written, the Hebrew writer is writing to people who have just turned from Judaism, right? They're these Jewish people, and, and there's a whole, man, there's a lot going on here, but it's a, it's a smorgasbord of people, but they've turned away from Judaism, and they've started to put their faith in this guy, this, this Jesus, who has claimed that he's been raised from the dead, and it is changing everything from the traditional way that they've understood religion and God himself. But in that, here's what's really important. So as you read Hebrews ever, the context, we've got to understand what's going on. These are people who are struggling. The writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of people who are struggling in their new faith. They're being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. They've walked away from all the traditional things that they would have known for 1,400 years. Imagine that for a second. There's so few things that we know of as Americans in this context that have that kind of lasting power that would change overnight. We've seen some of them. So few of them, but this is what's happening. These people are really struggling. Their, their faith is waning. And so as you read the book of Hebrews and you're ever just spending time with it, just know this is meant to be the deepest kind of encouragement of who Jesus is. And so the writer is now going to move into this encouragement and saying, you gotta understand why we need Jesus to be our great high priest. So, 
to back up, we've got to look all the way back. And you don't need to turn here, but I just want you to know. You can write down in your notes and you can study this on your own. But you've got to have an understanding. All the way back in Exodus 28, Exodus chapter 28, we find that God calls the sons of Aaron to be priests and to serve him by making sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel. And these people, they would, they would, they would, they would, conduct sacrifices, but another really important aspect to understand about this priesthood role is that they were really instructors as well. They would have people come to them saying, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time, I've done this wrong. And certainly they would make sacrifices for the things that have gone wrong, but they would also give counsel and instruct. Okay, so these, this was an important role that God has called out. And so they would share with God's people how they are supposed to live and they would make sacrifices. But when the priests were faithful, God would bless the people. So this office we see automatically has deep significance. The way it is run and how it is handled matters. And so therefore, what the people in that position do matters as well. So if they were doing well, God would bless them. But if the priests were unfaithful in any way, God would rain down curses. And we see that in several spots. And you can write this down. In Exodus 32, you can read an example of where that happens. And in number 16, you can see where the unfaithful priest and the consequences of that on behalf of the people, just as much as the consequences of the faithfulness would be borne out on God's people. The role of the priest, which is important for us to understand this morning, the role of the priest was to stand and represent the people before God. So you can just think of it very simply. Here's God's people. And here's God. Something is separating them. Sin has separated them from the holy, loving God. God's people cannot come to God. There's bad things that would happen if they didn't follow all of the ways in the law that was set up for them. Because God was holy. God is holy. So God gave them priests to be able to stand in the middle for them and to represent them on behalf of God. And so they would offer sacrifices for the bad things. Right? You catch it. It's not that hard of a concept to understand. But it's very, very significant. And the writer of Hebrews has another point. In chapter 5, verse 4, he says this. In relation to Jesus, it's not just that anyone could fulfill this office. Right? Exodus 28. God calls out Aaron in the line of of, of the tribe of Levi. And in Hebrews 5, 4, it says this. In regards to the, the qualification for being a priest, it says this. Hebrews 5, 4 says, And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Christ did not also exalt himself to be made a high priest. No, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mel who? Melchizedek. We're gonna talk more about this guy a little bit later. But I just want to pause real quick. Again, background is so important to understanding our need and why Jesus is a better hope. And we may feel like a little distant from this context. But I actually want to argue that I think we're pretty familiar with this idea of a priesthood. But it's going to take a different shape, all right? I severed the tendon in my finger last year. Like, it was just stopped working. And I was like, man, maybe it'll get better. You ever, anybody else like that? Ah, it'll, it'll get better on its own. It did not get better. It didn't work. You know, it got severed. So I, I needed somebody to fix it because I couldn't do that for myself. And so in one sense, I went to a temple of priests. Bear with me. 
a place where their sole purpose, these priests, these priests' sole purpose was to fix and repair, to do a job that I could not do for myself. Where they, in a very real sense, are set apart to do something very specific on behalf of other people. It's a type of priesthood that repairs what has been broken. My tendon, it had been severed. No matter what I hoped to achieve with this severed tendon, I, I could not accomplish making that right again, to make it work and bend again. It wouldn't move. So I went to the place where people were qualified to do that. In one sense, they could step in for me and bridge the distance between what was broken and what I needed done. You tracking with me? Someone had to step in on my behalf to fix what was broken. In so many ways, this is similar to understanding the priesthood back in the Old Testament time. It's core for us to understand how God is working out his redemptive plan throughout all of scripture to fix what is broken. He called priests together to be able to represent you and me and the people of God and offer sacrifices and gifts on behalf of the one and only holy God. And so again, all throughout the history of Israel, it's important for us to know, we have to understand this, is there is a pattern of faithfulness and unfaithfulness regarding this office. All of this, this faithfulness and unfaithfulness is pointing to the promise of a future and better priest. That's so important for us to understand. In 1 Samuel 2, 3, 5, we see the first promise of the priesthood, a future priesthood in the Old Testament. It says this, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to all that is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Here is another looking ahead, not saying the Levitical priesthood was bad. God set it up, but he was also saying this isn't final. This isn't perfect. And we're going to see how that matters. But it's looking ahead to a future better priest. So now, with that context, we can jump into our text. We're going to be in Hebrews 7, 11. I want to start there. I can't go through the whole chapter. It's so full. But we're going to start in 11 through 25, and we're just going to work through the text together. And it's going to feel clunky, but that's how the text reads. And we're going to just kind of try to squeeze out of it as much as we can, and it'll help us to be encouraged at the better hope that we have and need in Jesus. So let's read this together. 11 through 25, chapter 7. It'll be on the screen behind me. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, right? There's Aaron. There's Exodus 28, the stuff we already talked about. The Levitical priesthood, if it had been attainable through that, for under it, the people received the law. Was the law bad? No, the law was good. It was necessary. It was needed. But what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron. See what's happening all of a sudden. The, the writer is saying there's something significant for us to understand about the priesthood is that clearly there's the line of Aaron that God called out in Exodus 28, but we also hear about this strange person, Melchizedek, who is not from the line of Aaron, the tribe of Levi. What's going on here? 
Well, if you look back, and again, I know we can't go through all of this, but this is so rich. The beginning of the chapter says this. We get a little snapshot into who is this Melchizedek and why is it so important that the whole chapter revolves around this guy. You don't need to go there. I just want to read it to you just for context, all right? So there's another need for a priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek. Who is this guy? Well, Melchizedek is a king of Salem, a priest of the most high God. And he met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and he blessed him. This is all coming from Genesis chapter 14. You should read it. It's fascinating. And this guy Melchizedek comes out of nowhere. And you're like, who is this person? Scholars have been debating who is this for so long. It's not that important in the sense of what they're arguing. Is he the pre-incarnate Christ? Is he, is he, is he you know, I'm not gonna get into it. Is he an angelic being? This is clear that the scriptures are not worried about giving us this context except for what we can read, all right? So Genesis 14 is our first mention. Psalm 110 is the only other mention in the Old Testament about this Melchizedek until the Hebrews writer comes to encourage the people who are struggling in their faith. Why? After the slaughter of the kings, he, Melchizedek, blessed him, and to Abram, and to him, Abram apportioned a tenth of everything he, uh, a tenth of everything, He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. Now, listen to this. We just found out at the very beginning that he's a priest of the most high God. Like, what? okay. And then what else is he? The king of, what's that? Who else does that remind you of? Huh. All the way back in Genesis 14 and in Psalm 110, we're seeing that God has brought in this crazy, weird person that we know so little about and we have so little context. We're getting more context from Hebrews than we did in Genesis about who this Melchizedek is. But this is the idea of going, this guy is a type of Christ. He isn't Jesus. He is like him. He is a priest of the most high God, not on the line of Aaron. This is so important. I know you might get glazed over right now. Hang with me. He is not from the line of Aaron, but he's mentioned in Genesis 14 as the priest of the Most High God, and he's also mentioned as the king of righteousness. I'm gonna give you just a little tidbit that's just gonna be fun for you to go off of. If you study that text, what you will find is he's the king of Salem, which is the future place called Jerusalem. And I'm just gonna leave it there because you can run with the narrative of what God does and it is fascinating and I can't get into it today. But this is the king of Jerusalem at that time who is both the king and the priest. Listen, priesthoods were not sharing uh, the office of king and priest. Those were separated in the Old Testament. But here we see this mention, all right? So we're getting some understanding of who this is. And Abraham, this significant player in all of scripture, is giving a tenth of what he has won in his battle to Melchizedek. Who got tithes given to them? Priests. All right? And that is the king of peace. So we have the king of righteousness and the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Here is what is important in just that context that we are trying to go through really quickly. Genealogy is a massive, massive deal throughout the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. Anyone you get that's significant, you're gonna find out who he is born to, who he belongs to, when they were born, when they died, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It is massive. And guess what we have no genealogy for? Melchizedek. 
Why is that significant? Because he's not coming from the line of Aaron. And the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that this is significant, that this priest is gonna be different than the line that's coming through Aaron that's been set up by God, but it will be different, wholly different. All right, so I'm gonna move further in verse 12. For when there's a change in the priesthood, a change, so it's kind of like the best thing we can think of is like a change of administrations. It's the biggest thing, like what happens when the administrations change over? They kind of clear house, right? Everything kind of starts fresh in some ways. And this is the same idea that's happening here in verse 12. For when there's a change in the priesthood, going from the Levitical line now to this order of Melchizedek that we're reading through here, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. This is talking about Melchizedek and Jesus. They belong to a different tribe. From one, no one has ever served at the altar. For it is evident, verse 14, that our Lord was descended from Judah, which is where the kings in the Old Testament were descending from, the line of Judah. This is where Jesus, our Lord, has descended from. And in connection with that, the tribe Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes more evident when, one, when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis, here's an important part, not on the basis of legal requirement. What do we see in chapter five? You had to be called by God and you had to come from a very specific line to be a priest. And here it is saying, you have become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, that's genealogy, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Verse 18, for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. This is talking about the old covenant. This is talking about the Levitical line. He's saying the law that came through there, he's saying it is put aside. It's weak and it's useless now. Why is it weak and useless? Because it comes through humans, sinful, fallen humans. For the law made nothing perfect. Christians need to hear this. The law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we, God's people, draw near to God. Verse 20, and it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. Remember, they're made by the law. They come through a specific line. There was no oath. God did not swear that these are the people. They came through an, a, a line of people that were put together uh, in very specific ways through a specific line. But this one, Melchizedek, this Jesus was made a priest with an oath by the one. This is God swearing. This is God making an oath. This far supersedes the law that was given previously in the old covenant. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. You are a priest forever. Now what happened with the Levitical priests? What happened to them? They were men. What does that mean? They died. And over and over and over again, there had to be hundreds and hundreds of priests that would come and come because they would die and then they'd have to have new ones and then they would have to give sacrifices over and over and over again. 
Verse 22 says, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Verse 23, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They died. But he, Jesus, he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. It's a lot in this text. Not only is Jesus a better priest, but he's also our king. And this massive departure, this reason why the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage his people in their faith is he wants them to know that this is a significant departure from the old covenant. The very thing that they were struggling to, to hang on to because they're being persecuted and they're struggling and their faith is waning. And they're going, maybe it's just better to go back to, the, to Judaism. Maybe it's just better to go back to all the sacrificial ways. What we were used to, that would just be easier. That would just be easier. Instead, though, this is why Melchizedek plays such a prominent role in this encouragement encouragement is because he is the one that shows that there is a future better priest always in view by God. And this is to be a source of deep hope and encouragement. All the way back in Genesis 14, we see that God was setting up something new in his redemptive history as everything is moving towards Jesus. The Levitical law was good and right for that time, but it was never meant to be sustained in eternity. It was all pointing to Jesus and Jesus' ultimate priesthood, right? In the Old Testament, the throne and the altar were separated. And in fact, in 2 Chronicles 26, you don't need to turn there, but King Uzziah wanted to be both a priest and a king. And God's like, no, God judged him. But then Melchizedek, we see early on going, he's holding both. And it's setting us up for the encouragement of understanding why he's so important. The qualifications for the priesthood that had initially been through Aaron, God was preparing a better priesthood and an office that would contain both the priest and the king together. Guys, we get to see something that I don't think it's, I think sometimes it's a struggle for us to appreciate that what God was doing in the old covenant and setting up for the new covenant. We're seeing the ways that God had intended those things to work together and what God was up to as he promises on Christmas to send his son as a baby. So I wanna answer those questions. In light of Hebrews 7, Jesus, why is Jesus a better hope? Jesus is a better hope and a better priest because he himself is the one who lays down his life. The blood of a thousand animals is not enough, friends. And remember the context for this. Imagine if we are in this room being tempted to turn backwards to something that we've known that would cause us to be able to keep our jobs or keep our relationships with people. Just, just go back to the way things were. Guys, just go back to the sacrificial system that you, you used to. No, no, the, the writer of Hebrews is, would be encouraging us, and he is encouraging us today to say, it's not enough. You still have a need, friend. And that need is only satisfied by the blood of a sinless, perfect savior, once and for all. This is evident in verse 27, and we didn't read it, but I'm just gonna read it to you out loud. You can, if you, if you have your hand still in that spot. 
Jesus, verse 27, he has no need like those high priests. It's referring back to the, Levit- the Levitical priests. He, Jesus, has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First, for his own sins, right? These, the Levitical priests, they were sinful. They had to atone for their own sins with sacrifices themselves before they could go and sacrifice for the people of God. So they have to sacrifice for his own sins and then for those of the people. But since he, Jesus, did this once for all when he offered up himself, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, what God swore in, back in Genesis and in uh, Psalm 110, and we see now in, in, in Hebrews 7, the oath that God swears, he says, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Jesus is a better hope because he lives forever, friend. Our need for Jesus is met because we now have an eternal hope to be able to draw near to God. We don't need the sacrifices or we don't need the office of another human to stand in our place. Jesus has done that for us. We need a priest all of scripture has been pointing from start to finish that we needed someone to fix us and to stand in our place. And Jesus, this is what the writer is saying, Jesus is the one who has done that. And not only has he done that, he's gonna continue to do this. So how should we live in light of Jesus being our better hope? How does this help us understand today how to be encouraged? And I wanna invite the band to come up as I close our time in this way. How does the hope that Jesus is a better high priest, become a better hope for us. This is what the writer of Hebrews is getting at to these people. And so I wanna ask you this morning, are you lacking confidence in your salvation? You struggle to believe that God loves you and has saved you? Does that doubt ever creep into your heart or mind? Are you struggling in any way to persevere in your faith in Jesus? Listen, I know the answer is yes. But the point of Advent, the point of celebrating the good news of Jesus is to recognize, again, like I said at the beginning, we have a need Are you struggling in your faith in any way to believe that what God's word might say that it says is true? To understand things like chapter seven of Hebrews and go, oh my gosh, what in the world? Like, are you struggling in your faith in any way? Do you feel the need for more strength against temptation? It's lust and greed, arrogance, Do you need endurance to suffer right now? You wanna kind of throw in the towel and say, screw this, man, this isn't worth it. I'll go to anything else, not worth it. I'll buy what anybody else is selling. Just, just give me something. You struggling for endurance in your suffering? I know the answer is yes in some cases. 
Friend, do you struggle with boldness in prayer, just coming to God in general? Do you feel like you've got to clean yourself up before you can come to him? He knows what you did last night, and you're like, I'm, I, I got to do some other things before I can like, come to him and, and ask him for anything because, gosh, it's, I, I messed it up again. You need strength in your boldness to approach him? What we've seen this morning throughout all of chapter seven is that Jesus is a better hope for you and for me today. Because all of those things, all, literally, all of our needs depend on the priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. We don't just need him to save us. Yes, that is true. A thousand percent. We need him to continue to intercede on our behalf. And the scriptures are going to say he's going to do that forever. The indestructible life that we read about proves. And the writer of Hebrews is going to say that we have an unshakable foundation to put all of our weaknesses, all of our struggles, all of our needs on. This priestly ministry isn't just trappings of big words. This was God knowing that we need him. We need him. We desperately need him, friends. And he said, I'm going to meet every need that you have. Hebrews shows us this incredible reality of the God that comes for us in the manger who represents and is the very imprint of the holiness and fearfulness of God. Hebrews never shirks away from the fearful and stunning reality of the awe and holiness of God and at the same time brings in the priestly ministry of the one who says, come to me, I will sympathize with anything and everything everything you've possibly gone through or are going to go through. It's mind-blowing. Hebrews 5, 7. It says this, listen to what Jesus has done for us. Are you struggling this morning in any way? Listen to what your heavenly father has given to you in his precious son, Jesus, who is not only your king, but your loving and gentle priest. Hebrews 5, 7 says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayer and supplication. Listen to these words. The humanity of Jesus is shown just as much as his divinity here. With loud cries and tears to him who was able to save from death. And he was heard. How often do we pray and feel like we're not heard? or God didn't answer. There's a million reasons behind that. What we know about this Jesus is that his prayers with loud cries and tears that are able to save from death, they are heard, friend. Who needs to hear that this morning? Who needs to be reminded that you or the person that God is interceding, that Jesus is interceding on behalf of his father for right now, who is seated at the right hand of God himself. It is mind-blowing. It's too much to take. 
and our finite minds and hearts. But forever he will intercede for us. How rare is it, friends, that absolute power meets absolute mercy? We live in a world that we study world history and it says absolute power what does what? Corrupts absolutely. And Jesus has flipped it and said, I am absolutely powerful. I am absolutely loving and merciful. Come to me, child. He sympathizes with your lack of confidence in salvation. He knows you struggle with that. Come to him with that. He sympathizes with it. He intercedes on your behalf before God in heaven for that very need of yours. He sympathizes with your and my lack of faith in God and our, de our desire and temptation sometimes to, to be embarrassed by it and not to trust in it. He sympathizes and says, it's okay, I know, I'm coming for you. I've taken care of that too. He sympathizes with your weakness to look at pornography or to, to go and to do things that are wrong. He sympathizes with everything we've ever done wrong and will do wrong, friend. What better gift than that? But he doesn't just sympathize, friends. And I'm gonna close with this. He doesn't simply just sympathize with us. He does something about it. He is always interceding on your behalf. Our high priest is in heaven, not on earth. He is not a perishable man, but he's the eternal son of God. This Advent season, would our hearts learn to declare how great this love is of the God who sent his son to be the better priest, the better hope for us to declare the love of God towards us and towards one another. That's why we're gonna sing now. We're gonna sing, we're gonna declare the goodness and love of God to our own hearts and the hearts of those next to us. Declare it. This is the gift of Jesus that has been given to us. He's better than everything. Oh, our hearts need to be reminded of it. God's come for us, friend. He doesn't leave us alone in our brokenness. He's coming to destroy sin and shame. He's repairing the relationships between him and us and the standing in our place, advocating for us as our priest and our redeemer and as our king. I can think of no greater hope than to put your faith, if you haven't already, in this Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, I thank you for your word. I love God that you, you, you were so kind to us. Your word is not merely a book of information, it's you speaking to us. Oh God, would we listen today? Would we not simply, as your word says in James, just be hearers, but Lord, would we be doers? Would we, would we put our faith and trust in Jesus this morning where we have been struggling? Would we just say and admit we're struggling, God? Would we cast our anxieties on you because you promised you care for us? God, would you let us, Father, freely run to you? This Advent season, God, may we reflect on our need for you. God, would we worship you providing all that we need that we couldn't do for ourselves. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.